If you're enjoying this podcast and it's helping your writing, then come study with me. In addition to our normal classes and ProTrack mentorship program, I have two amazing weekend intensives coming up this summer for writers at different levels. You can come to New York and take them here over the weekend, or you can attend online from anywhere in the world and participate just like if you were in the room. On June 22nd and 23rd, if you've already taken my Write Your Screenplay class or if you're a writer with some experience who listens to this podcast often, I'm teaching for the first time ever a Write Your Screenplay Level 2 intensive. It's on Saturday and Sunday, June 22nd and 23rd. What we're going to be doing in that class is breaking down the seven-act structure of many different films, as well as showing you some of the really cool differences between writing for film and writing for television and how to adapt those structural concepts for different kinds of writing. We'll also be talking about advanced techniques for writing for the inner eye, for hypnotizing the reader with your action, and also some advanced pitching techniques that you can use not only to talk about your script and get it out there to other people, but also to uncover the structure in that script yourself. It's going to be such an incredible workshop. And for writers at all different levels who are new to the studio, I'm offering a new weekend intensive version of my Write Your Screenplay Level 1 class on Saturday, July 27th and Sunday, July 28th. And in this special weekend intensive format, what we're going to be doing is looking at how to break through your inner sensor to get your best writing on the page, how to conquer writer's block and set up a writing lifestyle for yourself. And we're going to also be looking at how to build your script or your television show organically from the blank page to character to scene to act and all the way to structure. We're going to do an introduction to how 7-Act Structure is built, and we're going to break down movies and TV shows of all different kinds. And we're also going to do some really amazing writing exercises to get you thinking about your characters and your structure in a more intuitive and exciting way. So I hope that you can join me for one or both of those wonderful intensives, and you can find out more about that on my website, writeyourscreenplay.com. Hello, I'm Jacob Kruger, and this is the Write Your Screenplay Podcast. On this podcast, rather than reviewing movies like critics, two thumbs up, two thumbs down, loved it or hated it, we're going to look at movies in terms of what we can learn from them as screenwriters. We're going to look at good movies and bad movies, movies that we loved and movies that we hated. For an ad-free version of this podcast, as well as a full transcript, please visit our website, writeyourscreenplay.com. So if you hear the sounds of ocean waves behind you, that's because I'm recording this podcast from the island of Maui, where I'm here working with a very talented student. So I hope you enjoy the waves as we talk about the final episode of Game of Thrones. As we look at this episode, we're not going to be piling on with all the negative feelings circulating around the internet. We all know the problems of this episode. And while we are going to look at this honestly, what we're going to do is try to take a much deeper look and ask ourselves the same questions that we'd have to ask if the ending of our own script or the ending of our own series wasn't working. Despite everything that's wrong, all the problems and disappointment, what actually works in this episode? That's the question we want to ask. 
how could we have built on what works in a rewrite and transformed it into an episode that was actually effective? Even though everybody is now asking for David Benioff's and D.B. Weiss's heads, it's important to remember that these are actually the same two writers who gave you all the episodes of Game of Thrones that you love. They gave you The Red Wedding, they gave you Battle of the Bastards, Hodor, all those moments that you fell in love with while watching Game of Thrones. So these two writers didn't suddenly wake up one day and suck. And neither did the rest of the writing team working with them. So how is it that these same writers who gave us all these wonderful episodes we fell in love with are struggling so much in season eight. What made this final episode feel like it fell apart for most of the people who watched it? Well, when I watched the final episode of Game of Thrones, what I thought, and what I've thought throughout the duration of season eight and shared in my previous podcasts, is that every single one of these problems could have easily been addressed with a few more rewrites. All of the elements that were needed to make Game of Thrones Season 8 great were already there. But the experience of watching this final season was like watching a rough draft of Season 8. A draft that hasn't been through all the steps that we need to go through as screenwriters. Which is what makes the lessons of Season 8 incredibly valuable for you as a screenwriter or as a TV writer. Typically, when we're studying scripts, we're looking at great movies or great series. We're looking at scripts that are truly finished and polished and brightened up to a shine. You often don't even realize that even the great writers had to go through the same crap that you do. That their early drafts don't look perfect. In fact, their early drafts are just as much of a mess as yours. They have to do all the same work that you have to do to make those drafts effective. So... Let's discuss what that work looks like and how you do it. But before we do, I want to talk about the biggest thing getting in the way here because it's actually something that gets in the way for so many of our students as well. There have been issues with Game of Thrones before, right? We all know this. There have been small problems, big problems, and we've forgiven them. We've forgiven the same kind of leaps in character logic that suddenly we're all up in arms about now. So what is it about this season that made it so difficult to forgive? Well, I want to talk about that. I also want to talk about what happened to the writers this season that changed everything. Although people are asking for a Game of Thrones Season 8 redo with really great writers, I'd like to suggest that these are great writers. Unfortunately, they're just great writers who shot and showed you a draft a little bit too early. I've seen so many of my students, brilliant writers, shooting drafts or sending scripts to producers, managers, or agents a little bit too early and making the exact same mistake. They take things that should have been moving and powerful that everyone should have loved. But because they did it all a little bit too early and didn't go through that final revision, they end up not getting the effect that they wanted for their audience. But something even bigger happened to these writers. Something that happens to a lot of beginning writers as well. If you're watching Game of Thrones this season, you probably noticed that you were staying up later and later. And that's because... Game of Thrones in Season 8 changed its format. Instead of short, hour-long episodes in a 10-episode season, Season 8 had fewer and longer episodes. And I would like to suggest that this was actually the biggest mistake Game of Thrones made, and potentially the main source of the negative reaction that the audience is now having. This problem of bloat is the same problem that almost every new screenwriter has. Writing the 120-page script instead of the 105-page script, or the 140-page script instead of the 120-page script. Trying to create the episode one pilot that actually turns into a two-episode pilot. Thinking that 
by giving yourself more freedom within the rules of the game that you're actually going to write better when exactly the opposite is true. When you give yourself fewer pages and try to do everything as quickly as you can, you have to make very strong choices as a writer. You have to differentiate between your great stuff and your good stuff. What's the stuff that you need to include? And what's the stuff that you say, well, it would be great if it could fit in, but I've got to cut it out. If you look not just at this final episode, but at the whole season of Game of Thrones, and if you listen to my podcast, it will help you understand how the bloating of these scripts affected the editing process. Because the writers didn't have to make these hard decisions about the use of time in each episode. They ended up including a lot of bloat, a lot of stuff that they really shouldn't have. And as a result, they moved the characters much more slowly in this season than they have in previous seasons. Most writers think that their script is all about a great ending, but this isn't true. The truth is, if things aren't working along the way, then your great ending isn't going to matter. If your great ending doesn't grow out of character, out of the stuff that we care about, it doesn't matter how brilliant and visual and epic your storytelling is. And you could see that in episode 5. There's a level of spectacle and amount of money spent that you have actually never seen in a TV series before, yet all you feel is disappointment because you don't actually care about the spectacle, you care about the characters. When we get to episode 6, what we're watching is two hours of denouement, of resolution. The writers are attempting to tie up all those loose ends, and you simply cannot do that for two hours. Think about the last image of episode 5, the previous episode, for me at least. That's the most powerful moment in the whole season 8. It's the moment that Arya approaches the white horse and rides away when she lets go of revenge. And after this war, we have this surprising moment of beauty. This is the message that the writers are trying to send. How do you leave war and the desire for the throne and vengeance behind? How do you break from the cycle? How do you break the wheel? And instead, find your white horse and ride off into the sunset. How do you pursue your own thing? The problem is that by the time you get to episode 6, all the characters have already changed. And just a warning, there are spoilers ahead. The moment Jon Snow stabs Daenerys at the beginning of season 6 is the most important moment in the episode, and you want to feel it. You want to cry. The problem is, it's very challenging to cry over a character who's become pure evil, dying at the hand of a character who's pure good. The Daenerys that you want Jon Snow to meet isn't the Danny who is bent purely on viciousness and power, who's definitely planning to kill his sister in Winterfell and extend the war forever. You don't want to meet that Danny. You want to meet the Danny who's cognizant of her mistake, or the Danny who you might at least believe is not just being manipulative, but who's actually trying to do something good. This way, you and Jon Snow can be in the same position of not being sure of wishing and wanting to believe that Danny might not be the person that you're afraid she is. You can't mourn the death of a character you don't care about anymore, or whose actions you don't believe. But if you were to find a different way to that moment, and I suggest one such approach in my episode 5 podcast, if you could find a way by which you believed and understood her actions, while also knowing that those actions were unforgivable, then it would put you in the position of feeling what Jon Snow feels in the episode. Which is, it doesn't feel good, it doesn't feel right, as he says. And that would be extremely powerful. Structurally, you can't take a character who's good, like Jon Snow, who always does the right thing, and put him up against a character who's now evil and consistently doing the wrong thing, and have him slay her, and have us feel sad or feel anything. Our understanding of her has to be as complicated as his is. We have to feel the pain with him. However, let's assume the moment works. 
you've still got the problem. What the hell happens next? What happens next in the episode is, again, the same problem we've seen all season, which is that neither the characters nor even the dragon can stay in character. Yes, even the dragon who until now we've assumed does not have a general sense of ethics, whose main goal is to protect its mother, and who we understand to be primarily a reptilian-brained creature. Suddenly, that dragon, instead of making a believable dragon choice, is making a symbolic choice to burn down the throne. In order for us to believe this choice, we would have to logically accept several things. A, that dragons understand what a throne is. B, that dragons understand Daenerys' desire for the throne. C, that the dragons understand that that desire corrupted her. D, that they understand what Jon's motivation was in killing her. E, that they understand how all this ties into the goings-on of the human world. And this leads the dragon to make a decision to burn down the throne. And it is just impossible to accept any of this the way the show is currently built. If you wanted to get to this moment believably, you'd have to start building the dragon's reluctance many episodes ago. And I don't think this is the right call. I actually think there are many other ways to get the dragon to burn down the throne if you really need that. That would actually feel believable and still allow a dragon to be a dragon. But if you want to believe that dragons are cognizant, you have to start feeling the dragons rebel against Daenerys' quest for power. And you've got to feel it earlier. The shame is that there actually is a moment that could be used to do this, which is instead abandon this season as just another loose end. But way back in the first episode, we find out that the dragons aren't eating and that Danny's worried about them. Now, nothing comes of this in this season, but there could have been a moment in the rewrite, even a couple of moments, where you start to dramatize the dragon's protest, or even the desire to fly away from this war. And then you might start to feel the pull of the dragons and the push of Danny. so that moment when the dragon finally burns down the throne and flies away with her body would have some resonance. When we build the structure of our scripts, just because a moment doesn't work in your current draft doesn't mean it's never going to work. There's a way to make absolutely anything work. You just have to be willing to keep rewriting. So coming back to the episode, the first problem is we don't believe that good Daenerys became bad Daenerys. And we don't feel Jon's conflict because we're ahead of him. We already know what he has to do and we already know it's the right thing. The second problem is that the dragon doesn't act like a dragon. And the third problem is that Grey Worm doesn't act like Grey Worm. We've been led to believe that Grey Worm is willing to execute innocent people on the street based on his queen's orders. And exactly how Grey Worm found out that John did what he did, who knows, but it doesn't matter. We all know the real Grey Worm would have slit John's throat the moment he realized that John had killed his queen. There's no way Grey Worm would accept a compromise that allowed John Snow to live, no matter how convenient it might be for the political point that the writers are trying to make. So what happens is we lose our belief in all these characters' choices. Even though we get a happy ending, we don't believe the happy ending. We don't feel happy because we don't believe the choices that the characters made. The next problem is that the moment the sword is plunged into Daenerys' chest, all the action starts to happen away from the character we most care about right now. Up to this point, the dramatic structure of this episode has primarily existed between Jon and Daenerys. Once he's killed Daenerys, everything that happens after doesn't happen by Jon, it happens to Jon. It doesn't happen through the choices the main character is making. We don't watch Jon walk away from the throne and disappear into the Northlands under his own power, which would have been a 
beautiful moment we could have rooted for and cared about. Instead, we watch him be banished. And that means that he doesn't earn his sad ending or his happy surprise. The ending's decided for him. So this is another lesson you can learn as a screenwriter. If your script isn't working, the first thing you should look at is your main character and ask, is my main character performing the action of the story? Or is the story happening to him? Is my main character an actor in their own change? Or is the change being imposed upon them? If you could find a way to dramatize the action of the main character, the choices he was making, if you could watch John make a choice about the throne after the death of Daenerys and let go of the need for power that has plagued everyone else in his world, we would actually have much more of a powerful ending. We would care. We would actually feel something. The next lesson from this episode is a lesson about staff meetings. Staff meetings are boring. They're boring in the real world, and they're boring in movies and TV shows. We don't want to watch a bunch of characters sit around and talk about their shit. We want to see characters doing stuff. If you're going to have characters sit around and talk about their shit in a staff meeting, as Game of Thrones attempts in this episode, well, they certainly at least should be characters that we love, and something dramatic better happen. If you're not going to do that, compress, compress, compress. Get out of there fast. Instead, Game of Thrones has our main character sidelined and hanging out in jail, while secondary characters are sitting around talking forever and ever and making decisions that are going to affect his life. Tyrion is trying to do something. He's had his great moment where he resigns his hand, but it's still hard to feel connected to him, especially after he spent the whole season making dumb decisions we know he'd never make. And we all really know he shouldn't even be alive right now, given Cersei's opportunity to murder him two episodes ago and Danny's opportunity to do so in this episode. But at least he's trying to do something. He makes a somewhat corny, somewhat intelligent speech about how storytelling is the way we understand ourselves and that stories cannot be destroyed. Although I don't love the execution of that speech, I do believe what he's saying. As storytellers, we control the mythology of our time. We create the mythology that allows people to know what it means to be a hero, to know what's good and bad, to go on a journey in relation to themselves and to find their vision of the universe. And in this way, all screenwriting is political. But the political aspects of screenwriting don't come from the speeches the characters make. They come from the actions the characters do. Obviously, Game of Thrones decided to get political in an overt way this final season. They decided their series is about tyranny, and they wanted to show how you take a dictator down. And there's clearly a reason to do this right now, which we can all probably agree to agree on regardless of our political views. We can all probably agree that tyranny is a bad thing and that we've got a problem in our country. So there's a reason to tell that story. But when you want to take an audience on a journey where they come to some kind of realization about tyranny, you can't do it with a bunch of speeches. You can't do it with characters talking about the problem. You've got to move the characters in relation to the problem. If you have a scene that isn't working, or as in this case, if you have a long sequence that isn't working, there are a couple of things you can do. First, you can compress. It's easy to see how this episode would have benefited from some compression. Squeeze it down, cut out everything bad, then cut out everything good until you're left only with the most essential stuff. You can see how simply having a 40-minute structure would have forced these writers to make the kinds of great choices they've been making throughout seven seasons of Game of Thrones. It would force them to move everything faster, to really use their writing in the moment to move the characters faster. They wouldn't have time for these freaking staff meetings. Which brings us to the next element, which is the idea of engine that we keep talking about. We, as audience members, come to a show 
because we want a specific feeling. If the writers give us that feeling, then we will accept any political message they want to deliver. But if the writers fail to deliver that feeling, then it doesn't matter what they do or what they say because we're going to tune out. The feeling we've tuned in for over eight seasons of Game of Thrones is not a feeling of morality. It's a feeling of twisted morality. If a bunch of characters are sitting around giving speeches, we're expecting a red wedding. If a bunch of characters are trying to do the right thing, we're expecting someone to get killed. If Jon Snow pierces Daenerys' heart, we're expecting the battle to end all battles with Grey Worm. If you promise that to an audience but give them something else, the audience ends up feeling baited and switched, and they will eat you alive. You simply cannot have an episode of Game of Thrones that isn't full of action because the engine of the show is action. You've got to find a way to outdo whatever your greatest moments of action are. Let me tell you a story from one of my first experiences in the theater world. One of my mentors was a guy named Jerry Zachs. I was lucky enough to be an intern when he was directing A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum on Broadway. I'm probably the first person to ever talk about Game of Thrones and A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum in the same podcast, but I think you can learn a lot from this. So the first thing that happens in A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum is a big, silly musical number. The whole cast sings together. Something familiar, something peculiar, something for everyone, a comedy tonight. It's this big musical number that promises its audience exactly what they're going to get, which is nothing with kings, nothing with crowns, bring on the lovers, liars, and clowns, a big, silly comedy. So Jerry choreographed this moment where the whole cast is singing and they all run downstage while the curtain falls in front of them and the audience laughs. Then they keep on singing, even though they're all behind the curtain so the audience can't even see them. And then they keep singing and the curtain comes up just to their ankles and you're seeing only their legs. And then they all keep on singing behind the curtain as the curtain goes all the way up to the ceiling and all the legs go up with it. And it's a show-stopping moment. It's so funny that it has the audience laughing so hard that they have to stop the musical till the audience can get their shit back together so they can continue. And I'll never forget, a producer runs up to Jerry at the break when we're done our first run-through of the scene, and he says, you can't do this joke. You can't do a show-stopping number at the beginning of your musical. And when things were going wrong, Jerry always clapped his hands. So Jerry claps his hands and he replies, why not? And the producer says, because if you don't get that funny again, the audience will eat you alive. And Jerry said, and that's why we have to just keep getting funnier. And I think that was one of the greatest lessons I've ever learned as a screenwriter. If you think about Game of Thrones, the writers actually make an incredibly bold decision this season. In episode three, they decide to have the big battle with the Night King, the most epic battle ever. Then in episode five, they burn down all of King's Landing and have a battle that hopefully outdoes the previous one. We can argue whether it did or not. But the spectacle was certainly something. The biggest mistake was that they didn't keep getting funnier. Or in this case, they didn't keep on getting more graphically violent. They didn't keep getting bigger in their battle scenes. You simply cannot have the last episode and not outdo what came before. And this, again, is where compression comes in. Because in a rewrite, you might just say, you know what, we just have to end with episode five. There's enough story to end with episode five. Or to fit the first five episodes into eight to ten episodes of a reasonable length. 
All you'd have to do is weave Daenerys' death into the battle sequence at the end. All you'd have to do is create some feeling of what might happen with the throne beyond this. Even though you wouldn't get to wrap everything up with a neat little bow, the audience wouldn't care about the bow. The audience cares about the feeling. Sometimes, to find out what the real moments of your story are, you actually have to write past them. Just as in the season 8 finale, sometimes you have to write the bad draft and then ask yourself, how am I going to build this in a way that's believable and dramatic? Sometimes, to figure out what happens, you have to write the version you don't believe, the version where the character acts in a way that you don't buy. Sometimes you just don't have a choice. It's the best you can do, and that's fine. But then you have to work backwards into it and say, how can this happen differently? Or how can I build up to this in a way that makes it believable? This brings me to where I'd like to wrap up, which is with Grey Worm. Because Grey Worm, for me, is actually the ultimate symbol in Game of Thrones of the power of tyranny. Here's a guy who's defined his whole life as a slave, who then gets freed and finds a new master, and once again subjugates his will to hers, this time by choice. Grey Worm is a man who believes that he's free, but who's really serving the rule of somebody whose desire is not the protection of the people around her, but for her own power. And of course, this is how wars happen. Without willing people who believe they're fighting for freedom, who believe that their leaders are good, you can't have any of the atrocities we see in Game of Thrones. And quite frankly, you can't have any of the atrocities we see in our daily lives. And so, if you want to take an audience on a journey that makes them wrestle with their view of tyranny, you have to take the character who, like them, maybe isn't really aware of which god he's actually serving or how he subjugated his own will. Not through slavery, but through choice. You have to take that character on a journey. You have to ask yourself, okay, I don't believe in this draft that Grey Worm would kill Jon Snow, but what would have to happen in the structure to build to the moment where Grey Worm would actually step off of that ride? Where Grey Worm would break the wheel for himself? How can I get him there in a way that doesn't turn the world of my series into a two-dimensional binary moral universe, but rather reflects the complex, morally ambiguous, and often perverse one that these characters have always inhabited and that the audience has always tuned in for? Because if you can take the character on that journey, it's going to outdo any symbolic action by a dragon, and it's going to outdo any speechifying. And here's the thing. All the elements are already there. It just needs a rewrite. If you want to take your audience on a journey that changes their political view, you have to have a character that they identify with, and you have to actually change that character. And that is the incredible power that we have as artists. And it doesn't matter if you're writing an issue movie or if you're writing a big old fantasy journey, or whether you're writing an action movie or a rom-com. We do shape the consciousness of the people that are watching. But it's not our words that do it. It's not the character's words. It's not our speechifying. It's not our morality. It's not the way we wrap things up with a bow. It's the choice that the characters make and the way the characters change that allow the audience to feel, that allow the audience to say, that's me up there, to see some part of ourselves making the kinds of choices that we either fear we would make or believe we should make. And as those characters go on a journey of change, so too do we. 
I hope that you've enjoyed this Game of Thrones podcast series, and I do hope that you'll come study with me. We have classes in New York City and online. We have our fabulous ProTrack mentorship program where we pair you with a professional writer who will mentor you through every stage of your writing process. So give us a call, check out our website, let us create a program for you. My website's writeyourscreenplay.com. 